The title of this particular little talk is, Who is the Work For? Maybe some of you don't remember, but I'll remind you. I've been working through some ideas around the theme of the artist's soul. And the idea is, each of us has within us uh, the soul of an artist, which is we're made in the image of the creator, therefore we're creative. And we have a good work to do, a vocation to fulfill, to reorder the creation. So this is talk four. Who is this for, anyways? The short answer is the thing that God put in you that you're supposed to bring forth, that you're aching to bring forth and longing to bring forth, whether you're aware of it or not, is for others. That much is clear. It's for the sake of others. But not at first. First, it has to be for you. First, it has to be meaningful to you. First, it has to be authentic to you. First, it has to bring life to you in order for it to reach its audience. The other week I heard about a board of trustees of a business and they were making a product and they were trying to sell the product, but they, the marketing campaign that they had selected, they liked it. A bunch of 60-some-year-old white men with suits, they liked it. It appealed to their sensibilities. But if you're selling an energy drink that's aimed at teens and 20-somethings, riding BMX bikes and skateboards and snowboards and whatever else, that's really not going to work, is it? They were told by a marketing division, guys, you've made a really, really effective uh, campaign of reaching people exactly like you, but that's not your target audience. So I thought about that. I thought, well, that's interesting. How does that relate to my, to my deep conviction that first, the, our, our life's work or our contribution has to, has to actually be meaningful to us? How does that relate? And then I realized, that's not a one-to-one -one correlation. When we're talking about your life's work, that's not the same thing as a marketing strategy by a board of directors that owns a company making a product that's not really for them, but actually for these people. But then I had another thought, and that is, what if you did market energy drinks to 60-year-old white businessmen? They probably could use a boost. My point is, some of those correlations break down. So try to hear what I'm saying, not against the grain of what's going to sell and what's going to work, but what are you here to do? Because we're talking about a vision of our entire life, not just our job, but includes our job. And the first thing I would say is that our first responsibility is to serve the work. And what I mean by that is to serve that creative spark, that sense of calling. That's what I would call the Spirit of God beckoning us to go on an authentic journey. We have to first become servants to the work. We have to actually get away from the posture of we're managing and making and into the posture of we're available and we're listening. It's when we become available to the work. I'm going to use weird poetic language. Just please allow me to do so. Allow me to not over-explain. Is that okay? Four people say it's okay. That's enough for me. Allow me to not over-explain. Because I'm speaking about mysteries. And when you try to dissect a mystery, have you ever noticed when you dissect a thing, it's usually dead afterward? <laughs> That's right on this page, Garth. We'll get there. You're going to be like, I knew that. See, I'm prophetic. That's right. Is that how you sound? Is that how I think you sound? 
But the first thing that we have to do, if we're, because I said, okay, who's the work for? It's for others. But the very first thing we have to do is it has to be for us first. See, as we serve the work and it becomes meaningful to us, as we, as we go on authentic journey and we find truth and we find meaning and we find beauty and we're paying attention and we're living with our eyes open, then we find something worth giving away. It's only as we learn to listen that we end up having a voice. As we develop ears to hear, we then have a voice to speak. And when we have a voice to speak, then we will find our audience. We'll find our message. And here's the weird part about you and your message. You already have a unique voice. You just don't know it. You, least of all, will be able to hear what's uniquely you. And most of us will undervalue and undersell our contribution because like our eyes, we don't see our eyes, we see through our eyes. Like our worldview, we don't see our worldview, we see through our worldview. Right? We don't smell our own home, we're nose blind to it, but everyone else can smell it. Hopefully it's positive. Hopefully it's lasagna and the smell of firewood. Not old socks and stuffy diaper toilet. <laughs> Why did you have to go there? Well, I have a baby. There's a danger, though, as we, as we get deeper and deeper and deeper into our own personal journey, that it will make sense to us, but will out, uh, outpace our people. I don't know if that makes sense. Let me try to unpack it. I have a friend named Eric. He's a jazz musician. He's a crazy musician. He was in a jazz band with some jazz greats. I don't remember their names, and I don't know them because I don't, tech, I don't really like jazz. Shh, it's a secret. Don't tell Eric. But he's amazing. He's a crazy drummer. And he said, you know, we played, and the more we played, the more we, we'd come up against, remember when I talked about flow? In order to stay in a state of flow, you have to, you have, to have challenges that are always increasing, but they can't be too steep or it ends up being, I'm failing all the time. If it's too easy, it's no longer fun, it's no longer engaging, it doesn't use enough of your brain power. So you want that sweet spot of you, you can do it and you can't do it. And right in that sweet spot where you engage and you're right on the hairy edge and you're actually performing better than you can, naturally. And he said, man, as we, kept, if we, just, we were on journey, we, we would start, we were making the music that we were inspired to make. We were using polyrhythms and idiosyncratic atonal scales and our chord structures were out there somewhere and we were having a party. And we'd look out into the audience and they'd go, huh? We had, out, we had we'd outpaced our fans. Not, these aren't people who hate us already. These are people who love us and came on purpose because they love us. And, and I, so I was thinking about, I said, ah, because one day I was talking to Eric and I said, I have to preach what, I, I have to preach what I'm learning. I have, to, I have to share what's bringing me life. But sometimes I feel like the feedback I get is, uh, you lost me. And he said, man, that so reminds me of my jazz band days. And so I thought, well, what do you do about this? Because if the goal is to be beneficial to others, but, but there's something, there's really diminishing returns if you don't believe it. If you're bored saying things, are, I mean, let's face it, being boring is a sin. It's easily as much of a sin as, as, as heresy. In fact, it is a heresy. We just don't label it that way. Because what are we communicating when we're bored? God's boring. Life's not worth living. Th these are fundamental truths. 
These are, this is our primary affirmation is that God's beautiful, that life is a gift, that awe and wonder and gratitude are the essence of what faith is about. Am I right? Yes, yes I'm right. Okay. I'll bring my own amens. But we have to go on a journey, but at some point we have to find ways to go back and, and actually pave some roads that got us there for others. Like for me, it, was, it, might, it might have been one, one trail, just a, a footpath. But at some point, we're going to have to backtrack, put some signs up to help other people get to where we are. Because there's only one way to get to where we're going, and it always starts where? Where you are now. So I cannot, I cannot just expect anyone else to be where I am today without having gone through what I've gone through, or at least finding some on-ramps for people. So here's another metaphor. How many of you know the name Charlie Puth? I love that guy. He's a pop singer. He's still relatively young. Some people don't like him, apparently, according to some people's face right now. And uh, (laughs) he recently went back to uh, his college and was trying to lecture to, like, explain to them some things that he's learned that have helped him be successful. So he's talking to musicians that obsess all day and night about music. And he said, you guys, most people don't, this might shock you, you might be dismayed to find this, but most people don't want to live in a music conservatory. Can you believe it? Now, the, the artist, the musician is like, why not? What could be better than all day and night? Microtonal scales. Neapolitan harmonies. Ooh, Phrygian and Lydian. And I don't even know how those sound. You know, I had a friend who was that way. I played a chord on the guitar. I called him up. I said, hey, dude, what chord am I playing? I played it, and he goes, that's a D Neapolitan 9. And I was like, what planet are you from? <laughs> it sounds good to me. Well, Charlie was telling, what Charlie Puth was telling the students at his college was, what you, what you need to do is, in order for you not to be bored, you have to be able to put your best lyrics into the song. Your most authentic words that best convey soul. And then on the musical side, you, you want to try to put chords and chord progressions that are not trite and boring to you, but are, but are actually interesting to you. But somehow, to do both of these things, the lyrics have to be accessible so they can relate. And all these, these, these musical flourishes that are like, ah, oh, to you... They have to be catchy and hooky for the listener. They, the listener doesn't need to know you just, you, just, you just did a flat five. You just did, oh, you did a dominant seven instead? That was unexpected. They, the listener is not going to know that. But the things that make it keep challenging you, you can sneak those in there. And the listener won't know what you're doing, but they'll hear it, and eventually they'll gain an appetite for that. And you might even lead them to the deeper end of the pool through the entryway of pop music. The dude is catchy. Every single time, see, well, he'll take a, a verse, a chorus, and a bridge. Then the second time through the chorus, he'll change something. A little melody line here, another instrumentation here. And he'll, instead of just doing that repetition, 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 repetition. Humans like repetition. If you sing the wrong note 15 times in a row, it starts to sound right. So humans just love repetition. It's what we, it's what we do. It's what we do. Okay. 
But Charlie's, Charlie's on point here. He's finding ways of taking what's authentic to him and accessible to others because the goal is there's something he's feasting on in life. There's a perspective. There's, there's an experience that he's like, oh, I wish I could share that. And if he just shares it straight, as though he's speaking to people just like him at the music conservatory, there's not as many people that are going to actually get in on that shared feeling, that shared experience, that vantage point. So who is the work for? Well, ultimately, it's for others, but it has to be authentic to us. Now, to bridge those, sometimes we have to build little on-ramps. Surface and depth, the problem with just saying it's for others and then trying to figure out what others want or what others need is we won't be coming from our depth. And when we're not speaking or moving or breathing or serving or relating from our depth, it's damaging in a number of ways. One of the ways it's damaging is when we speak from the surface, we reach the surface. And when we speak from our depth, we reach their depth. When we're in touch with the original longing, when we let the longing, when we learn to serve the work, some of you might want to hear me instead say, when we learn to listen to the voice of the Lord, when we learn to listen to the whisper, when we're speaking from our depth, we're more likely to reach someone who's also longing in their depths for what we're yearning for. When we stay faithful to the original longing, because the other stuff's technical. When we stay faithful to the longing, others who have similar longing will be able to find it, even if they don't know what it is. When we speak from our skills and from our gifts, We'll only reach the surface. But when we speak from the depths of our soul, we'll reach the depths of soul. Does that make sense? And here's the weird thing. You might be using chords and changes. You might be using an architectural structure if, you're, if that's what your work is. You might be using vocabulary that I'm not entirely familiar with. But if you're faithful to the original longing, and I share that longing, I may end up saying something like this. I like it. What is it? Because there's something deeper than familiarity at work. There's soul at work. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense to me. So, the band Rush. How many of you know the band Rush? Oh, yeah, baby. Come on. That's, that's good. I should use older bands from now on. Just Oh, that didn't, I didn't, that didn't come out right. Now it made me feel old and us too. What am I going to do? I'm 40, and I still feel like I'm 20 in my heart. Of the character of a 20-year-old and the body of a 40-year-old. It's a joke. I hope. So the band Rush, as they kept releasing albums, their sound dramatically changed. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but people have strong opinions. It's really, you notice that? Coke or Pepsi, I'll kill you. All righty then. Nike or Reebok. Remember that? Now it's like Reebok who? Who's Reebok? What's Reebok? There's a Reebok? They had a pump in the... They had, they had a pump, air pump, in the tongue of the... And you'd pump them up. Yeah? Yeah, baby, come on. What you doing there? Pumping up my shoe. Yeah, it's going to make me amazing. I'm going to be able to jump so high. Nope. 
But the band Rush, as they would release more and more albums, their sound would change. And their fans felt betrayed. How dare you change? We fell in love with you. We gave you our hearts. We came to your concerts and we sang along and then you changed. How dare you? And I think it was Getty Lee, the bass player slash singer, who didn't write the songs. I think the drummer wrote the songs. The guitar player like got all the babes. And the, and the bass player was like, whatever. I guess I'll just do all the hard work. Um, so Getty Lee, if they're listening, they're not, so I can say whatever I want. But if they were listening to this, they'd be like, hey. All three of them would be like, hey. Except the guitar player, he'd be like, that's true. So they changed, and the fans are offended, the fans are mad. And so Getty Lee says this quote, which... I have known since I was, what, eight, 17 years old, maybe? It's been percolating around in my brain for all these years. This is his response to the accusation you've changed. We didn't change. You just stayed the same. Do I, do I have to unpack that? The original hunger... The original posture of soul, the original appetite of exploration and adventure, the original need to go after and find and give expression to these things deep down, that stayed the same for us, which is why our music had to keep changing. If we stayed the same, we would have had to sell out to do it. We would have had to start being fake at some point. We would have had to phone it in. We, have ha- we would have had to betray our integrity to do it. I recently heard Billy Corgan criticize the Foo Fighters. You can't talk about them Foo Fighters, I'll tell you right now. And what he said was, they didn't change. They're still making the same kind of music they made at the beginning. And of course, you know, no one cares what Billy thinks. He's crazy. But he's also a genius. And he's rare in that he's honest in public. And I thought, even though he's right, I still don't care. Because I think Dave Grohl's still being authentic to who Dave is. I think the reason his music still sounds like it does is because that's who he really is. He still finds it a lot of fun to just get those drumsticks, flip them around backwards, beat the snot out of them until all the heads break, play the guitar up. He's, he's him. But Billy's on to something. His music radically changed. At one point, he gave up on being a popular rock star and tried to go after what was authentic, and it tanked. And I respect him for that. He said, you know what? The exploration of a rock star is dead. There's only one more pursuit that humanity has left that's worth anything. We need to explore God. And then, of course, the Christians were like, that's right. And then he said a bunch of stuff that we were like, no, I don't think that's right. But he's on his journey. It's extremely important to be on your journey. And if you're on your journey, here's what I know. If faith is not a, a, you know, faith is not a doctrinal statement. Faith is a relationship of trust with a living person who's beckoning us onward in the journey. If faith is a doctrinal statement, change is always bad. Because the doctrinal statement is orthodoxy. But if faith is a relationship of trust with a living Lord Jesus who's beckoning us further on journey, 
then you would expect change to be a constant if faith is authentic. And so the accusation that came to Rush has definitely come to me in my life. I've had that recurring statement made. You've changed. When I showed up and when I signed up and I said, my yes, this is what you were about, but now you're about this other stuff. And then, of course, that sends me on my little internal crisis of, am I wrong? Have I lost my way? And so I look back and I explore and I go, I don't get it. Same heart, same love of Jesus, same pursuit of truth, same listening to the voice and just doing whatever he tells me, same hunger for him, same, same process. So what gives? Well, that's the very answer to my question. The reason that the content of my sermons changes is because my faith doesn't. Keeps me coming back to the same Jesus, the same God, the same dependence, the same hunger, the same thirst, the same listening and obeying. He's not saying the same thing now that he said 10 years ago because we're not in the same location. I'm not. And it doesn't mean that we're no longer believing the orthodox doctrines of the faith that, are, that there are statements about, but it's by, it's by these doctrines setting these parameters that we walk into the room and interact with the living God who pushes us on journey and says, hey, look at this. Hey, I want to show you this new thing. Hey, you know this thing that you think over here? It's all wrong. I want to unteach you this whole thing that you thought was true. And I want you to reteach. I want to reteach you this whole thing. Stop thinking what you think and let's have another think. So as you go on authentic journey, it's, you, there, it's possible for you to end up having some people feel betrayed by you that you haven't really betrayed. You may not be where you are, and that's okay. Let people be where they are. And let their criticisms just fall to your feet. Because if you start to try to be led by popular opinion, you're going to end up with your life as a mishmash, like a platypus, something designed by a committee. I'm not sure if that's true. God's like, hey, I did that on purpose because I was having a fun day. I was just like, whatever, go crazy. Extra spare parts. You have to go on journey and you have to be completely all in. Well, you don't have to but I want you to. Going on your journey and being all in. Sometimes people think that the goal is to be right or to measure up to this external standard, but the goal is not to measure up to an external standard. The goal is to be fully there, to be 100% awake, alive, and present. Every bit of what you do will be injected into your work. Paul said it this way. He said, what we are, don't you know that what, what we are in our letters when we're absent is, is what we are in our actions when we're present? Now, that's a fascinating statement. He's saying that our faith, if you want to know about our faith, it's, it's 100% what you see is, is real. That's how completely autobiographical his preaching is. That's his, his living is more preaching than his preaching. Can you imagine making a painting and saying, don't you understand that what we are in our paintings when we're absent, we are in our presence when we're in the room? Don't you understand that what we are in our music when we're absent is what we are in our relational presence when we're in the room? 
This is why he would say things like, follow me as I follow Christ, instead of things we would say, which is, don't follow me, I'm just crazy, follow Jesus. Because somewhere along the line, we have not embraced the idea that the medium is the message. And that even though we don't preach us as Lord, we don't preach us as Lord, but how can you say, follow me as I follow Christ, if if you can separate out Paul from Jesus when the truth of what Paul's saying is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's no longer I who live, Christ lives in me. It gets, it gets strange, and I don't know how to define it with clarity. But the goal's not less of you, more of him. The goal's all of you possessed by him. The answer's not don't look at me, look at him. The answer is, I'm looking at him, so if you look at me, something of him will rub off. And if that's not the case, then I need to shut this thing down. And I need to go check my pulse, listen to my soul, engage fully, go on a journey, and until then, be silent. Because if I'm silent in here but talking out here, I'm not speaking from my depth. I'm not living from my depth. I bought a book called The Soul's Quest for God. I should have called it The Soul's Quest for Book Sales. Um, I was hungry for the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're hungry and you're looking for something. You're looking for, there's a, there's a, there's a, you look, there's something. There's an itch in there and you, you, mm, you want God and you want something that's going to unlock these keys. And I've stumbled across this title, The Soul's Quest for God. And I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm after. I want to know about the soul's quest for God. And a book like that, I mean, a book like that, honestly, ought to pretty much be a poet, poetry treatise that makes you feel like you're standing in front of a mountain and looking off a cliff into 30-foot waves with great white sharks doing backflips. Also, the calm of being in a pine wood with a trail and, and you know, some birds quietly singing and the serenity of the ferns all at the same time while making you do eye-open, mental-like backflips of joy. Because that's what the soul's quest for God should evoke, right? You know what I got instead? I opened the book, and guess what it was? It was a boring preacher talking to me about John chapter 4 in boring, normal, theological words that I'd heard a million times. I was like, give me back my money, and you owe me an apology. Someone titled this book wrong. They should have called it Just Another Boring Book About John 4. Which, by the way, John chapter 4, if you read it and you let the Spirit of God, it'll do all that stuff I just said. But all I'm saying is the book didn't achieve that. And so I said, well, we ought to retitle this book, The Soul's Quest for Book Sales. That's an audacious title, Soul's Quest for God. You didn't talk about the soul. You didn't talk about the quest. And you didn't talk about the God my soul's longing for. Well, you did. Anyway, I'm still mad. That was a lot of years ago. But here's the point. So many of us, when we long to hear the song that will scratch that itch, or we long to find that quote that will say that deep thing that we want to say that's on the tip of our tongue, but we can't access it, we go looking for someone else that hopefully has said it better because we have no faith in our own voice, and we're not paying attention to our own soul very explicitly, only, only accidentally. And what I'm learning is write that quote. You have the authority to say truth. 
that resonates with your soul. And if it resonates with your soul, it's going to resonate with the other souls. Remember how weird Jesus was? In a day in which all the other rabbis endlessly footnoted every statement with human authorities and studies and research and data to back their claim, their hypothesis, that could tentatively be posited as a helpful working theorem. He started his talk with amen. No one did that. You know that, right? No one started a talk by saying, what I'm about to tell you is the fact. Amen, amen. No, you don't say amen at the beginning, Jesus. Let me educate you here, Lord. You say amen at the end after we're sure that everything you said checks out as it's been triple tested. No, he starts by saying, amen, amen. And then he doesn't quote one soul. He tells you what he knows based on his encounters with the Father. That doesn't sound scientific, Lord. It is scientific if your field of study is the human spirit. Write the quote you're looking for. Write the song you long to hear. Write the book you want to read. Make the movie you want to watch. Build the house you wish you could live in. Invent that device that you wish you could purchase. Rearrange your life the way you wish your life was arranged. Learn to listen to your own soul. Learn to recognize the voice of the wisdom the Lord's tucked within you that's trying to lead you, trying to speak to you. I've often tried to do this, and sometimes in church it's made strange things happen. I've wondered, can I do this in church? Can we? Are the things I have an appetite for, does anyone else even want what I long for? Is there anyone hungry for what I'm hungry for? Am I allowed to talk about in church the things that are feeding my soul in private? It's a legitimate question. Because sometimes what I think, and I'm not accusing y'all of anything, I have stereotypes in my mind that I'm working with here. This is an internal battle. Sometimes I think that what's acceptable in church is that John chapter 4 dude's talk. And this other thing of the soul's quest for God, it's like, I don't know, a whole sermon about surfing, rock climbing, and what's he on about? Now, I don't know if those voices are out here and I'm hearing them or if they're in here and I've internalized them. But you know me, and you know that over the years I've preached sermons on video games, deep sea exploration, and a whole host of other strange things that I loved talking about. But sometimes it seems that I outpace my audience, but I'm still glad I did it. Let me give you an example. A few years back, I preached a whole sermon on a couple of things from Alfred Hitchcock's theory that each movie needs a MacGuffin to drive forward the motion or the momentum of the plot. Some people call it a, a rabbit's foot. Some people call it a MacGuffin. But it's what are, what are the characters seeking? And I preached a whole sermon on this, and I got philosophical, I even got very political, and there were a lot of movie references. 
At the end, I looked back and re-listened to the sermon and re-read, re-listened to the sermon in my kitchen with headphones in them, and I shook my head and I said, I need to listen to this thing about five, six, seven more times to really let it sink in because I feel like that was the most important sermon I've preached in the last five years. It didn't feel like it was, I didn't, it didn't feel like it was from me. It sounded, it felt like it was, came through me and I needed to listen more closely. That I said it to y'all before I was finished listening and I need to go back and learn and be changed and let that thing really soak in. And then I checked my email and I got an email from somebody that said, that was a bridge too far and we are leaving the church. Too many movie references, too much craziness. That is nutty. We're taking our family to a place where it's safer and less secular. And that, that grieved me to my core. And I honestly don't know if I would preach it again knowing that would be the outcome, that, that a precious couple would leave. I've wrestled with whether or not I would as to whether or not I should. That's a different question. I might not be brave enough to do what ought to be done sometimes, even when it's not popular. I hope I would. All right, we got about a minute and a half left, so here's where I want to try to take this down. Paul understood this dynamic I'm talking about keenly. On the one hand, he said in Galatians chapter 1, I didn't receive my gospel from any man. Nobody taught it to me. I have encounters with Jesus, and I received the gospel I preached through revelation, through encounters with Jesus. He taught me this gospel. I don't check the weather report and see what the people want to hear. I don't preach what the people wish I would preach. I'm not interested or concerned with what they want to hear. I have to preach not what you want to hear, says Paul, but what I must preach based on what I know. I'm compelled to preach what I know is real and true and gives me life. And on the other hand, the same apostle that said that in Galatians 1 in 1 Corinthians 9 said, we become all things to all people so that by all means we might reach some. Notice the some. You would have expected with all those alls that he would have said all. I become all things to all people that by all means I can reach all. Now he knew. He knew. He knew. Like 1 Corinthians 1 says that the gospel that brings him life is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. That's verse 18 and verse 23, I think, of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. So who is the work for? The work, that's an alarm telling me it is noon. I understand. Yes, thank you. I appreciate your service. The work is for others, but who? Who? Garth said it. It's for those who have ears to hear. I wish everyone had ears to hear. If you've, if you've encountered the Lord, if you've found life in him, if you've paid attention to those voices, if you've gone on that journey, if you've, if, if you've learned to step aside and hear and let Jesus through encounter and through re-education and through retraining and shaping and friendship with him, it's honestly, it's just friendship with him, reshape and mold and lead you into the life you were made to live, to the good work you're made to do in the world, to the contribution you're made, you want everyone to find life in him like you have. 
You want everyone to be able to see and experience. See, there's, there's even, when I say goodness, beauty, and truth, I'm not excluding the pain from that. I'm drawn to painful beauty, not just celebration beauty. So I'm, just include that. Don't hear me excluding that. Songs that make me cry, oh, come on, those are my favorite. Songs about heartbreak and loss, come on, baby. I could listen to that all day. And I wouldn't come out sad. I would. I'd be real sad. But you know what that is? That's actually me offloading my pain so I don't have to carry it as much. It's beautiful. And it's good. And it's true. Anyway. But we want everyone. We want, we want to reach everyone. But we're not going to reach everyone because not everyone has ears to hear. Years ago, Jesus said to me, your focus is on everyone in the room, Tim, and it's greatly discouraging you. That's the wrong focus. And I said, okay, Lord, what's the right focus? And he said, you need to focus only on those who have ears to hear. That's what I did. I was like, oh, teach me. Think about that. Someone who, when you share your authentic, when you put yourself into the work, the greatest risk, by the way, you're not, it's not a project. It's something I did, you know, no big deal. And somebody blasts it. That's terrible. It's stupid. It's ugly. It's the worst I've ever seen. You're stupid. Delete your account. You, you, if you're not affected by that, you're walled off and already unhealthy. It's the scariest thing to go on an authentic journey and actually do the thing God's called you to do. We actually need verses like, hey, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And they're not just rejecting me. They're rejecting the Father who sent me. We need those verses. Those verses aren't throwaway. Those verses help us survive because we're living authentically with our heart and our self and our work as a whole expression of who we are out here in the public space for others. But not everyone has ears to hear. How will we survive that? One thing is, you've got to find your audience. So here's my final verse here. Matthew 10, 24. Jesus says, What, is, what I tell you in the dark, proclaim in the light, and what is whispered in your ear, what does he say? Matthew 10, 24, what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roof. I want to submit to you, this is your, this is, you will not find your audience. Who is the work for? Not everyone. Who, who is the recipient of your life? Who are those to whom you are sent? There's only one way to find them, and that's to put it out there. You don't wait to put it out there until you think you found them. That's not the strategy. We scatter seed indiscriminately, and we call on people who don't volunteer. Jesus never had a sign-up sheet. He was like, you, let's go. And you're like, what? Go, what, go where? What are we, what are we doing? He didn't have sign-ups. <laughs> he was like, you're in. Oh, I help. But I was just fishing, and you think maybe I should tell my dad or just leave the boat because that's like 40 grand. I don't know. We should probably go home and tell him. You will never find your audience till you find your voice. Just like there are ears to hear, you have to have a voice to speak first. And how do you find your voice? You need ears to hear first. 
What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. It's when you learn to listen that you have something to say. And then when you say, you find out who you're sent to based on who wants what you brought. If they say, it's foolishness, you're a moron, you're an idiot, I'm not interested. They're just not your audience. Don't take it personally. It's not about you. It's about them. It's about where they're at. Go ahead and stand.